Great to be together this morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 15. Come on, Steve. Come on, Steve. The title of the message this morning is Be Relentless. Amen. And you know, we, we all admire people who are relentless. Um, you know, some of the people who I have in the last years have admired who are relentless that came to my mind as I worked on this lesson is, uh, one of which I don't even know his name, but you know, I'm always enthralled by the Iron Man that's done in Hawaii every year. And several years ago, there was a father who was in his 50s, and he had an adult crippled son. I don't remember what his son had, adult and crippled. And his son told his dad... You know, I, I don't know how it started, but basically his son told his dad, when we do this together, I feel alive. So in his 50s, this father trained and then for several years did the Ironman with his son. He would tie a, a, a raft to him for the swim. And then with his bike, he had a seat with his son in front of him. And then for the run, he would push him. And it was amazing, you know, they, they make a, like a, a compilation, maybe like a 90 minutes every year of it. And every year he did it, they would show him. And uh, I, I think one year he didn't even make it in time, but people stayed by the finish line because it officially closes at midnight. Because people were so inspired by how relentless this man was. He had a focus. His focus was, my son will feel alive. You know, another person, I just finished uh, reading a book on uh, Abraham Lincoln. I love Abraham Lincoln. And what I, what, one of the things I love about Abraham Lincoln is he was so relentless with one focus. We must be one nation. So many other people said, ah, let's just become two nations. Forget the South. Let's split. But he was so focused. We will be one republic, one nation. It's interesting. His main dress coat that he had made for himself, he had inscribed on the inside. One republic, one nation. Abraham was relentless. We must be one nation. Uh, Another guy in... I don't understand the, the world that he lives in, but I, I do admire, that's the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett. You know, and I, I admire, he, he's well beyond the age of retirement, but he's so focused on continuing to, to do good investments. And I admire that. I, I don't know a lot about it, but I admire that. Then somebody, you know, I, I, where, where are you, Ori? I love you, buddy. So I, I included, I, I wanted you to feel part of the message today. Kobe Bryant. I don't admire his personal life. I don't even admire how he conducts himself. But he is relentless. He has a singular focus in his life. That may be a problem once he retires. But his focus is championships. And I do admire that specific, narrow, little, relentless focus. That everything else to him is peripheral. And I go, that's a good example of being relentless. He is relentless. And what do we love about Jesus? Jesus was so focused while he was alive for those three years, I must save my people. People wanted to make him king. Uh, Let's be honest, most of us in this room, if somebody came to try to give us that kind of power, sure, no problem. Where do I sit? No, I'll have no part of that. People wanted him to lead a radical, revolutionary army. Some of us would be ready to sign up for that, you know. Where's my gun? 
Jesus, no, no part of that. He was so singularly focused. All these people were relentless. And this morning what I want to talk about is us being spiritually, faithfully relentless. Let's go ahead and have a prayer. God, thank you so much that we could come together this morning. And as we we get into your word this morning, I pray that you will really open the eyes of our hearts. I know that that it is your desire that every one of us in this room this morning, there's something in this scripture we're going to look at this morning that you want us to connect to. Now, I know we can fight it if we would like. And we could, we, we could decide to leave here and get nothing out of it, but God, I pray you'll give us a spirit of humility in here right now to be able to hear and see how your scriptures apply to us this morning so that we can be closer to you and honor you more and more with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Matthew chapter 15, and I do have, I know some people get thrown off if an actual paper Bible isn't held, but I I have many Bibles in my hand right now, uh, many versions of the Bible, and uh, I love technology. Matthew 15, verse 21, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Come on, Ori. Ori. Ori likes how I choose new versions every year. He really likes it. Matthew 15, verse 20, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, Help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is an amazing story of a relentless woman that we're going to get into. But a little background on this. As we all, most of us know, for three years, Jesus taught the people. And 99% of that time he spent with the Jews in Israel. He, he stated, hey, while I'm here, I'm here for the Jews. His plan was always, after I leave, the message will spread on to the Gentiles. In fact, in, in Matthew 10, you don't, don't turn there now, but verses 5 and 6, he told the 12 apostles, do not go to the Gentiles. It wasn't his focus at that time. So basically, the 1% of his time where he wasn't with the Israelites is really represented in this story right here. Now, on top of that, he's dealing with the Canaanite from the area of Tyre and Sidon. Now the famous Jewish historian Josephus said, the people of Tyre are our bitterest enemies. So he wasn't in a land where Jews just had all these happy, lovey feelings towards the people of that land. And then you add to that, that we're dealing with a woman. And at that point in time, women were not on an equal footing with men. 
So there is a lot of strikes against this lady. <laughs> and then, I, and then we add to that that she's desperate, right? Yeah. Her daughter yeah. is not well, and she needs help. Yeah. And she knows that Jesus could help him, yeah. so she cries out for help. Now I've had multiple times in my life where I've been in a situation where somebody has cried out for help. And I always react. I might not be the first on the scene. I remember we were swimming at the Valdez's pool when a cry went out and a child was drowning in a hot tub. And everybody at the pool ran except my family and the Valdez family. It was actually kind of sad. Most of the people were like, we don't want our kids to see somebody die as they got out the gates. And it did my heart good to see my wife dive in there and pull the girl out. And, you know, we went there. I remember another time at the beach, Jake and I were fishing, and a girl got washed out to sea. And the b- boyfriend cried for help, and uh, I was able to help in that situation. But it just, to me, it just makes sense. So, if I'm honest, it doesn't make sense to me that Jesus doesn't respond to this woman. It bothers me. And it it probably bothers most of us in this room. That here the woman says, help me, and Jesus doesn't say a word. Most of us are like, what's wrong with Jesus? That's not okay, right? (laughs) So my first thing I want to focus on this morning is, what do you do when God is silent? Because if you look there, I'll read it again, verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me! I'll bet she was louder than me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon! And we think, and then Jesus ran to her. But it says, he did not answer her a word. Wow. Jesus didn't answer her. And I'm sure as we read this, that bothers you. But more importantly, what do you do when God is silent in your life? Because I'm sure we have all have felt like that. Some of us might even feel like that right now. I want a child. So there's been, I want, you know, I know there's been people who, I want a child. And you just, you know, miscarriages or it's just not happening. I want somebody to become a Christian. You know, you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm finally excited about my purpose and now it's not working. God, you're not listening. I want a boyfriend. I don't want one, but I'm saying. Sometimes sisters would feel that way. God, you're not listening. You can feel like, God, you don't hear me. Sometimes wives might feel like, I want a better husband. (laughs) God, you're not listening. I've been telling you about my husband for months. You're silent. I want a job. You know, we can get in these modes where we ask. But we seem to not be hearing back from God. And at this point, many people quit on God. or, Or stop going to Him. I understand. I've been there. I had a time where I felt a depth of pain I didn't know existed in life. Um, I'd been betrayed by a woman I was engaged to. And for months throughout the day, I'd be like, God, you just got to help me. Please help me. But it didn't, the pain didn't stop. 
And I was like, how many times do I got to ask? Not like asking for a new Ferrari. I'm just like, could you stop the suffering? And I got to a point where I did kind of pull back on God. And I lived in San Luis Obispo. So I I was a single brother in a campus household. I waited until everybody left for school. I packed my car and I started driving away. And I got to Santa Barbara. And, and, and then I just started realizing, like, ah, I'm pretty jacked up, but I don't think I want to live without God. And uh, God, it turned around. But I, I felt that. I felt that, God, I'm asking you for help. Why are you silent? But here's the thing, guys. Life is a test. It's not just a celebration. Now, I know... If you listen to the Visa and the MasterCard commercials, life is a celebration, right? Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny, but it's true. I mean, if I watch those commercials, what they're telling me is, I am meant, you know, you know, I deserve the best. I deserve to go everywhere Visa goes. You know, I deserve the Derby. I deserve the Super Bowl. I, you know, I mean, that's what I deserve. But biblical truth is. Life isn't just a celebration. Life is a test. Heaven is the eternal celebration. We're temporary residents. We've got to remember that. But our our challenge, and I can just speak to Americans where I've lived my whole life, is we don't like tests. Especially once we're done with school. Even in school, we didn't like tests. Some of us did, some of us didn't. Once we're done with school, I'm like, tests should be done. I finished school. We like celebrations. We like, let's honor me. Let's let me have a good time. But that's not how it works. You know, it's amazing if you look at this woman who we need to imitate. She was relentlessly faithful. The Lord was silent, but she did not. She kept going forward. So now you would think, okay, God was silent. And she didn't quit, so now it's all going to be great, right? Sure. I mean, a lot of us think that, like, okay, God, today was a hard day, but now it's all going to be better, right? Or, okay, God, or you know what I can, you know what can happen to me? Okay, I went through that one challenge. I used to think this. I, I had a few really hard times as a younger Christian, and I really thought, like, I'm not going to have any big challenges the rest of my life. They're all done. <laughs> Wasn't true. <laughs> So Jesus doesn't answer the woman. And then from there, if we pick it up in the middle of verse 23, after Jesus doesn't answer, his disciples came and begged him, send her away. She's crying out after us. So the most spiritual men alive, Uh other than Jesus, have one sentence in this whole interaction. (laughs) Send her away. She's driving us crazy. She won't be quiet. Not, oh, we need to help her. Jesus, how could you be silent at such a time? Let us help her. No, they're like, get her out of here. She's bugging us. Uncomfortable. I don't like this. Get rid of her. She's annoying us. Next thing I want to talk about is, what do you do when people hurt you? What do you do when disciples hurt you? Or even non-disciples. Do you, do you stop acting like a Christian? Oh, I'm hurt, so I'm not going to act like a Christian anymore. 
Because let's be honest, all of us put, can put so much weight on our feelings. And it's funny. When times are good, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to live by my feelings. And then something bad happens and you're like, there will be no rest until this person pays. <laughs> that person's not going to act like a Christian. And then we act on our emotions and we feel justified because of what they did. I can relate. You know, I had a time where a group of disciples treated me like a stray dog. And I didn't respond well. I got really hurt and I got bitter. It's the reason the Bible says in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart. It determines the course of your life. But what the, the challenge is when we get hurt, a lot of times we just fling those gates open. Go ahead, just hammer my heart. That's what I did. I got bitter, and it took me a while to get better spiritually. And I think this is an area as a church we, we got to continue to mature in. Because until you're dead, you're going to offend people, and they're going to offend you. But, it, but the Bible says we need to continue to mature. Yeah. And be able to be like, hey, let's sit down. You know, I didn't appreciate how you did that. Instead of, Wah! A lot of us, let's be honest. Some of, some of you aren't laughing right now because you know how to look like this. But inside when somebody hurts you, you're like, ah, you know, let's go. But look at the Canaanite woman. Okay, Jesus was silent. And then his main, the guys he's training to change the world say, get out of here. But she stayed relentless, relentlessly faithful. She's passing the test. Okay, it's going to get better now. Verse 24. Then Jesus says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's just like a dagger in the back. It, it, it could have gone that way for that lady to feel that way. Wow, that's some tough talk. She could have got hurt and been like, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. Which brings me to my next question. What do you do when Jesus' words seem too strong and overwhelming? Because they're not always... Nice, soft, gentle, fluffy words. Jesus' words to us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, aren't always, you're a nice person. Yeah. <laughs> you're special. You know, Jesus' words aren't always, wow, you're so educated. You're so great. Jesus says some very challenging things to every one of us in the scriptures, and he will continue to until we make it to heaven because he loves us. Verse 25. The woman is relentless. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She's desperate. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, now Jesus is going to say, sure, no problem. But he says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Okay, he just used an analogy. And he said, I can't give the kids food to the dogs. So in this analogy, she's a dog. That's pretty hard talk from Jesus. 
How do you handle the strong words Jesus says to you through the Bible? How do you handle when He tells you you need to hate your father, mother, your children, and even your own life if you want to follow Me? That's more, you know, how how do you forgive, especially as you get older spiritually, how do you handle forgive 70 times 7? I've forgiven that person 10 times in the last... Uh, 70 times 7. That's a great point. How do you handle when he says, do not repay evil with evil, but evil with good? For a select few of out there, how do you handle in 1 Peter 3 when he tells you if you have a non-Christian spouse who doesn't behave well, love them and win them over by the power of your life and not just your words? How do we handle those tough things? They're not easy. You know, in the Burns household, we have neighbor issues right now. And if you've been to my house, I don't live in a sprawling neighborhood where people can, you know, you're just everybody disappears into their little home. I live out in the middle of a farm and there's like five houses. So when when you're next when you have a challenge with your next door neighbor, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> when you're outside working on your garden or whatever, they're right there before you. And I've had to read the scripture several times. Do not repay evil with evil, but evil with good. And I've got to be honest, in my heart, there have been multiple times where I have come up with plenty of solutions that I find reasonable for the situation. I've found a solution dealing with evilness towards their dogs. I've found a solution with evilness towards them. I found a solution towards evilness, towards contacting the landlord. I have had plenty of evil in my heart. Now, my wife, she's, I told my wife this. She's like, I've thought none of those thoughts. <laughs> I've thought them. And quite frankly, quite frankly, last, last Sunday morning before church, I was reading the scripture specifically, reading again to make sure I hadn't misread it. Alright, did I read this right? Do not repay evil with evil, but evil with good. Darn it. I went out, I was like, I'm going on a prayer walk, I'll be back. And I went on the prayer walk, and I'm like, alright God, I feel like raining fury on these people. And the world tells me that it is, that's what I should do. I mean, all you got to do, you know, when I'm at work and something bad happens... All of my coworkers spring into, oh, let's do this to this person. Let's do that. They'll do it. They'll be like, hey, you should do that. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, why not? So I'm like, all right, God, I feel fine about this evil plan I've concocted. And the world will sign off on it. The only person who disagrees with me is you. But I was like, but we got this whole catch-22 that you're the Lord of my life and this world isn't my home. I'm, on, I'm being honest. This world isn't my home and I need to do things your way, not my way. So it'd be nice if you could help me feel better about it, but amen, I'll do it either way. And honestly, for days, I didn't feel better about it. I would have still felt great bringing some suffering to those, little, those dogs. But it's, it's not easy. That's why we have to be relentlessly faithful. You know, verse 27, the, the, the lady doesn't give up. Okay, Jesus was silent. 
The most spiritual people, dister. It just happened to all of us in this room. You should see what that pastor, or you should see what one of the brothers in leadership did to me. It happens. Then Jesus tells her, hey, I'm not here for you. He tells her strong words. But she was relentlessly faithful. Look what she says. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She says, hey, even my pet at home gets some crumbs. Depending on your pet, they might not wait for it to fall off the table. They might get up on the table. But She's like, please give me some crumbs. And look what Jesus says to the woman. Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She passed the test. She stayed faithful. She was relentless. It ended perfectly for her. Her dream was fulfilled. But not the way she planned. I would I would be willing to bet that she thought, I will go and cry out and Jesus will say, no problem, and he'll come to my house or, you know, he'll tell me to go get my daughter and it'll be great. She went through a lot that I'm sure she did not plan on. You know, that, that that's the way it is with God. It ends perfectly if you stick with God. You make it to heaven. But it won't always go the way you want along the way. And we have to understand that. That's part of maturing as Christians, is yeah. realizing just because I want it to go this way doesn't mean it will. Yeah. You know, I may never be the greatest at my career. I may never have, you know, the nicest house. I may never be the most popular person in church. Um, uh, my leg may give me issues until I meet the grave. Um, you know, uh, this relationship may be a work in progress the rest of my life. Things don't go the way we plan them to go. I mean, look at Jesus with the twelve apostles. He was always testing them. You give them something to eat. What? What? It's five thousand people here. Jesus talking crazy. You cast out the demons. We tried, man. I prayed. It didn't work. The prayer's broken. Can you fix it? And we'll try it again. In the middle of a storm, Lord, wake up. Storm's going to, we're in this boat and there's wind and there's waves and we're going to die. He wakes up, says quick prayer, and he's like, are you kidding me? You guys can handle this? He was always testing them. Now why? Not because he was some you know, evil mastermind. How can I make their lives crazy? No, the Bible says clearly that tests increase our faith, which help us get closer to God so that we can make it to heaven. Jesus and God always have a purpose. Their purpose is for us to get to heaven. And so whatever it's going to take for us to get there is a no-brainer to God. And so He will do whatever it takes to continue to strengthen our faith. Um,
you know, I think as a church, we need to get more and more focused on being relentlessly faithful for God. Um, you know, one thing I see in the marrieds, I see a relentlessness towards better careers. And I think that's great. But my question is, are you also relentless about helping other people become Christians? Because that's going to matter forever. And for me, thankfully, when I get to heaven, I don't have to check in my work credentials. You know, I'm lucky. Some of you, you would be in no problem. Others of you, you'd be in my boat and you know, we'd be outside. Come on, man! But are you as relentless in helping people become Christians? Another thing with the marriage that I see is I see a relentlessness about kids' sports. And sports are great. Kids learn a lot. It's fun. But my question is, are you as relentless teaching your kids about God? You know, with family devos and the like. Are you as relentless in helping your kids get good relationships in the church? There's nothing wrong with these other areas. But we've got to make sure we're focused over here as well. You know, Singles Campus, I've noticed a relentlessness to date and marry, which are good things. But are you as relentless about saving souls? And the other thing I would ask you is, are you also relentless in looking for what God looks for? I remember when I was, you know, a, a campus student, it was pretty well understood in looking for a spouse Pretty much across the board, the main priority is this person needs to love God above all else and be a spiritual person. And there was many, there was many people I knew who would get in dating relationships and then would break them off and they'd be like, "Ah, that person just, you know, their priorities aren't set right." And I just, my concern is today in our church. Do we have those priorities? Do you have those priorities as a single or a campus student that, hey, who I date and marry, their top priority needs to be God. You know, we, we, we need to be less demanding of God. We can ask, but we need to realize we're not entitled to things our way. I know that's hard for some of us to hear. And you could leave today and find many people who will tell you otherwise. But Jesus is very clear that it's not about it's not our way, it's it's his way. You know, we need to become relentlessly faithful. I, I I've loved this week studying this woman out. And honestly, I mean I've been Christian almost I don't know, sixteen, seventeen years in a couple days. Um but I've never really noticed this woman. Which is kind of cool, because I go, man, I've been reading the Bible a long time, and there's, there's still so much to get out of it. But this woman, I mean, honestly, if I hadn't been guided to her, I would have probably kept overlooking her. Yet I go to this woman, I go, wow, this woman's amazing. Yeah. I have so much, I want to be like this woman. I want to be like this dog that's just trying to get a crumb off the table. Because she was relentlessly faithful. And she made it through test after test, that, that I haven't even done so well at at times. And it was just like water off her back. No, I'm, I'm going here. Let us be like this woman in our relationship with God and how we live our lives. Let's really work on being relentlessly faithful. Amen. Amen.